0: Bitch, Please, oh, bitch, please, my ass. You want a sandwich? Did that. Oh, hell, yeah. She's a bad man. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. If I wasn't a Christian man, I'd probably be kicking in your way. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black man in a white world. I'm a black
1: man in a white world. Welcome. To the latest episode of the JB's Low Tech Podcasts, it was about three years ago where a dream started, and I started my own podcast doing the COVID shutdown. And for those who keep listening, I appreciate your listenership and your thoughts. A couple of episodes ago, I mentioned or did the whole episode on. They're finally, finally, they're talking revenue sharing in college sports. Well, uh, today I have more of a update on that whole situation and a letter from the mailbag when we come back here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast.
0: Wait a minute. Was that text you sent so important you missed your turn? So important you just ran a red light? Is that next text so important that you won't see the ball roll into the street and the child chasing it? Hi, I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. Please remember that having your eyes off the road for as little as four seconds equals 100 yards. That's the length of an entire football field. And when your eyes are off the road that long, anything can happen. If you need to text, please pull off the road. Texting and driving isn't worth it. It's against the law, and it may cause serious injury to you or others, or even death. That's more important than anything you'll text. Please don't text and drive. I hope you're never hurt in a collision, but if you are, please contact us. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Working harder, going farther, with Mike Bryant on your side. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Bryant hard in the double law, flash the uh-huh. rings with the window crack, right. holler back, uh-huh. money ain't a thing. Jigga, I don't like it if Jeez. it don't gleam, gleam what? in the hell with uh-huh. the price but uh-huh. the money ain't a thing. Put it down hard for my dogs that's locked in the bang. Uh-huh. When you hit the bricks, new whips, money ain't a thing. Come on. Yeah, I want to floss with us. Come on, uh-huh. it's all across the board, we burn it up. Right. Drop a little paper, pick uh-huh. and toss it up. Yeah. Snacking on your pimping, uh-huh. turn it up, see the money ain't I a thing. Flex the road, sign a check for your Jigga's style is love, uh-huh. X and O. Uh-huh. Save all your accolades
1: Um. The greed of college presidents to have their schools self-sufficient, the greed of athletic department to keep getting and spending money on coaches' salaries mainly, facilities with all the uh, frills and fills, and, yes, to take care of the athletes, some. The greed of the athletes' parents – who want their children to be treated like kings and queens. And the greed of the athletes themselves has led to an unsustainable model. Finally, the NCAA has, is starting the framework of a proposal to possibly rein this in, but be fair to the athletes. Also, I will go through... The steps that are out there right now, or the bullet points, if you may want to call that, that are out there right now as we know it, and touch how they possibly could affect the, the, the world of college sports as we know it, it's going to change. And I've said this over and over again. All these changes so far, it's been made because of lawsuits and uh, the schools wanting the athletic departments to be self-sufficient and to somehow buy the biggest and better coach and the greatest facility to recruit the best athletes. Those things are going to change where it's going to go. That money is going to go directly to, to the athletes. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about a new a proposal or framework put out there by NCAA President Charlie Baker. And I think he's doing this because he's wanting, still wanting to get the help of Congress to help the colleges be able to fend off collectives, rogue boosters, in some ways, to help them help themselves with the out of control spending that you see on a day to day basis, this would be a split within the FBS. You ask, what is the FBS? It is the Power Five and the G Five. The Power Five, basically, would it is the Big Ten. The Big Twelve, the ACC, and the SEC, and the group of five is all those other schools remaining, as remaining, except for Notre Dame, who's a, uh, a powerful independent. They would be classified under the Power Five classification. This would be a split in the FBS. Now I've thrown out FBS twice. What when I was in school, there used to be called one, one uh, division one A, and division one aa Now they have changed that classification to FBS, which is football, uh, football, FBS football bowl series level and then FCS, football championship level because at the Division One, what used to be called D- D- Division One 1AA they have playoffs and they have championships and they've had them for the longest time. The FBS football bowl uh, level just had the you know, the, the one championship game. And then it had, you know, 14 playoffs for like the last 10 years. And now, next year starting, it will be six, uh, 16 teams. No, I'm sorry, 12 teams with the first four uh, conference champions getting buys and then eight uh, at large bids. No, this is all getting confusing. I think it it right now it's still under the six and six, which would be the Power Five, which would still be counting the Pac twelve, which or is the Pac two. And the highest ranked P five, I mean not P five, uh, group of five champion. They are now trying to change that model to the. uh, The P4, which would be those conferences that I've mentioned, the Big Ten, ACC, the Big 12, and the SEC, and Notre Dame would be in that also. And then the uh, highest-ranked group of five champion, and so you would have five um, automatic qualifiers, and then you would have seven at large bids in that group of five would have to uh, play that first round uh, playoff games, but then um, if they win, of course, they would continue on. So that's that's the difference between FBS and FCS. Sorry if I confused you, uh, but – Mainly, it is the bowl series level and then the what used to be called the division one A level or now the football championship level, which is still controlled by the NCAA. The FBS is not. It is controlled by the college football playoff uh, committee and group. So whew, that's a lot. If I, got, if I confuse you, send me an email or a text. Or if you know me, send me a phone call, and I'll further explain it to you. But as I was getting to, there would be a split within the FBS, and that would be the Power Four and the Group of uh, Five, would be able to opt in to a new level. No title or name has been given it to it. Loosely, it's being called the elite, the new elite level. You would have to opt in or choose to not opt out. If, you, if you're if you in a uh, P4 conference, say the Big Ten, and you're Indiana, and you I'm not saying Indiana is going to do this, but say... For an example, they chose not to opt in. I don't know if they would still remain a member of the Big Ten or not, or would this create a new conference or not. None of this is clear. But all those schools do have the the opportunity to opt in, and they would have probably the better financial well-being to opt in, you know, take a Big Ten school. And that's why it said it doubt if it would be Indiana. They're gonna receive somewhere between starting this year, 75 to $100 million a year because of their TV contract and TV rights. So if you can't manage your money as an athletic department to opt in, then you really have serious problems with going on what is uh the benefit for this well there are a couple of benefits one is to uh, allow them to make their own rules on and ownership and keep it under the NCAA umbrella but they would decide on things like roster limits scholarship limits staff uh, staff size Staff uh, salaries, uh, sanctions on sports, meaning keep sports, get rid of sports. And also still have control over championships. So that would be the reason for doing this. The other is to be able to buy the NIO rights rights of the athletes and I'll get further into that as we as I go along here. Also, this is this step is going to probably be taken to help them settle the house versus the NCAA case where they could lose anywhere from a mil- uh, million a <laughs> million a billion and a half dollars to four billion dollars with damages to pay ex-athletes whose TV rights they used and also the current athletes. And NCAA, it's like they know if they don't get a handle on this and things continue to spiral out of control, how would they be able to keep up and keep control and sustain their athletic department As things will continue to spiral out of, you know, as I stated earlier, as things continue to spiral out of control with all the spending. And this will give them a chance, as I stated earlier, to get that spending under control, hopefully. As I stated, they can buy the NIL rights. Now, it's stated, and this is a, amount that was floated out there by Charlie Baker, it would be at least $30,000 a year per athlete that fits in this model. Now, the schools have to decide which athletes get it. Um, Most people believe that this money will go mainly to football and maybe a little bit to basketball but here's the saving grace on that that will probably cap salaries 50% of those athletes they give this money to has to under title 9 would have to be female athletes so what am I saying with that so if you're going to pay female athletes $75,000 to play basketball You're probably only going to pay men's athletes $75,000 to play basketball. Now, there's also an indentment in this that states the $30,000, it's only the floor. You can pay as much as you want per athlete, but understand what you pay to athletes don't is now is lost to the athletic department, and they have no control over uh, spending on facilities and coaches and things like that. And the other benefit would be to squash collectives and rogue boosters, as I stated earlier, who have now gotten back into college sports and uh, – cause a headache for athletic departments in the sense of they're no longer uh, have the athletic department basically has no control over them they um no longer are given in a lot of ways it's no longer given their money to the athletic department they're giving it directly to athletes in the form of nil and remember nil if you an, if a booster or business pays an athlete, that athlete has to perform some type of duty. Now, it can be as simple as come to my car dealership and sign autographs twice a year or go visit sick kids in hospitals, whatever the business or being a commercial or have your name slapped on our mustard, whatever it may be, those things are worked out between the business and the athlete. The schools do not get involved with that. But the thing that is kind of loosely out of control, but also loosely controlled by some schools are these collectives. You ask, what is a collective? People give money or they find ways to fundraise like most places are using. they have created their own beer their own vodka, whatnot, these collectives, and they sell it, and the funds from that go into the collective, which can then be donated to the athletic department and um, be used for different things. Or it could be used to have an athlete perform, again, a service, a commercial, an autograph signing, or whatever, and have them paid. But the schools are finding them troublesome, out of control. There are tax issues with collectors. The the collectors were telling donors that this was tax-free money, meaning that if you donate, you could write it off. And the IRS came back and said, oh, no, that's not the case. You will have to pay on this money. So uh, that was kind of squashed. But they, the schools don't want to deal with collectives. They don't want to deal with rogue boosters. And they are finally coming around. The best thing they could do is just pay the athletes directly. Now, will they be technically paying the athletes directly? No, this money, which would be 30 again, $30,000, at least the floor per athlete would go into a trust fund, then the athlete could pull that money out for educational, so-called educational reasons. You know, paying your rent is an educational reason. <laughs> um, you know, buying food so you don't get hungry, so you can... Maintain your good health is an educational reason. So, but they'd rather put in a trust fund. It's just easier that way. And to get all this set up, they need to help a Congress. And Congress need, you know, to, I don't know if there's going to be some antitrust or what's going to go. But they are still with this they're still going to be asking for the help. Another question is, how many will opt in on known number? Because you may have a group of five school decide, because within the uh, Power 4, there are 68 schools. You could have a group of five schools like SMU did this year Asked to be a part of a conference next year, and take no TV money. they're joining the ACC, they're not getting any of the TV money. They have the the backing of their boosters and whatnot, and the boosters claim that they would give them the the thirty to fifty million dollars that they would have gotten in TV money to. Uh, have this done? And of course, a conference would say yes, because they don't have to cut another slice of pie to drop everybody else's money. So when you go back and look at this proposal, if you have a group of five team like Liberty, uh, for example, they could maybe say, hey, we want to be part of this FBS sub-elite division, and we'll Fund our, you know, we'll come up with the money because we won't have a large TV contract because we won't be in a conference, but we'll make it happen. And they will be held to it, meaning that they have to pay. And I think it's like 300 athletes. So that would be, or 400 athletes. So half would be male and half would be female. Remember those numbers later on, because there are some downfalls for some athletes as we talk about this. I was talking about the House versus the NCAA case, and I said they were trying to settle it outside of the losing the billions of dollars that they would possibly lose and damage, because let's face it, the NCAA has not won a case going all the way back to Oklahoma versus the NCAA, and that was the case that Oklahoma won, and I think Nebraska also sued, which freed up schools to be able to uh, negotiate their own TV contracts and revenue. And uh, before then, the NCAA had it, and you would only see the same few schools all the time, like Notre Dame and Michigan and Ohio State and Alabama and this school and that school, Oklahoma and Nebraska, because the NCAA, along with their TV partners at the time, just gathered that those were the best – rated games as far as uh, eyeballs to watch it, and they just kept showing the same thing over and over again. And the schools figured that they could get a better deal and get more money if they had control over that. So the NCAA has been losing, and this goes back to the 60s. They have been losing court case after court case after court case to the NCAA. To, to whoever sued them. So the NCAA is tired of getting its butt kicked in uh, court. They're afraid of the House case. But this would also eliminate the restrictions that they need to have uh, eliminated in NIL to be able to put that $30,000 or more into those uh, trust funds and uh, also limits standards and that others can, uh, and also place uh, standards, I'm sorry, not limit standards, but place uh, standards that other schools possibly cannot make to keep the number of schools down who opt in. So you probably won't be seeing a lot of G, a group of five teams or G5 schools up and in because they would have to meet the requirements of the 400 athletes, which a lot of those schools don't have 400 athletes. And they would also have to pay that money, that $30,000 and a lot of group of five schools can't afford that and they definitely can't afford those payments to female athletes, so they would probably stay in the old model. Some people would call it football classic. You would have football elite and football classic, and um, so a lot of those schools wouldn't, wouldn't be able to opt in, and you would have a clean split between the haves and the have-nots and this is another thing that this is clearly defining the haves the have nots now i know you ask well would they lose their they able to play like a football game or basketball game against those schools in that what i'm calling the elite level yes because those schools don't all just want to play each other Because that would, you know, there would be no winning in that point. You know, the top of the top of that group would win and you wouldn't have any uh, of your other schools playing in bowl games. So you would still have Minnesota playing Bowling Green or um, Alabama playing Appalachian State or whatever it would be to uh, and. That is helpful to the Bowling Greens and the Appalachian States of the world because they get a big paycheck, just like what three weeks ago, New Mexico State played um, Auburn. Auburn wrote them out a check for one million eight hundred dollars, eight hundred thousand dollars. I'm sorry, and also got beat by New Mexico State and Coach. Jerry keel So those uh, those schools in the football classic would still be able to fundraise through that so-called ass kicking game because most of the time you get a check and then you get your ass kicked. But there's times like when the first game ever on the uh, Big Ten Network, Appalachian State beat Michigan. And like I said, Jerry in New Mexico State a couple of weeks ago, beat Auburn. It happens. You get a big payday, and you get to hang up uh, pictures and banners and whatnot talking in your building, talking about when you kicked the crap out of such and such. I'll never forget, I went and interviewed at Toledo, and they had, at the time, and this was um, 20-something years ago, And they had just beaten us in football a couple of years ago, and they had every picture you can imagine of that game and a big banner and just celebrated the crap out of it. Those schools celebrate those victories because, like I said, those are supposed to be. I get my ass kicked for big payday games, but they don't always happen. So that would be a benefit for them for that would continue. To uh, to continue or to wrap up this section, again, they asked what would be the benefit for the split would be the bigger, you know, the, the elite schools, as I'm calling it, would be able to uh, control their rules and whatnot, remove collectives, and also eliminate those who can't afford to join them in this split because you're eliminating the competition in some ways, and which means that you have access to more funds and more money and more self-sufficiency. This proposal brought out, this framework brought out more questions than it did answers. And part of that is because it's a new proposal. Not even the schools knew about it. Uh, the conference commissioners claimed they didn't know anything about it. So it's brought about more questions than answers. But as President Charlie Baker of the NCAA stated, this was to get the conversation and the ball rolling because we needed to stop hiding behind what we the old model, and we needed to Get going because if they didn't, again, they're going to lose that house case and it's going to be, that is going to be just unbelievable, you know. It's going to be unbelievable and it's going to be hard on each school to have to divvy in money to pay off because that's not, when the NCAA loses, that's not the NCAA, The office of the NCAA pays the bill. Its conference, I mean, its uh, members, which is all the institutions of the NCAA, would have to give in money to pay that off. So instead of having that nuclear option happen, they it would be better serve to get on top of it, pay the money in the tr- trust fund, deal with all the side effects, and move forward and have control over things. Only difference between the old control and the new control is the kids would see a financial benefit from it. How many schools will it push out? Nobody knows. Meaning in the uh, P4 conference, how many of those schools would decide, I'm out? You know, if a Northwestern said, I'm out, and they for the lack of a championship level, decided to play in the Classic? Do do they still get to stay in their conference? That's another question that wasn't answered. Would this create a new conference or conferences? That, again, was not a question that was answered. What damage would would be done to uh, non-revenue male sports, meaning uh, baseball, men's soccer, men's hockey, men's golf, men's tennis, men's track and field, and on and on. Sports that are not football and basketball, what effect or what damage would this cause? Probably the more clear as one than right now is some of those teams are going to go away. Now there is a possible way of saying saving those, and I will address that later, because there's twofold to to help that. But right now, what damage would be done? Probably sports would be cut and teams would be lost. How would this? affect the nc2a basketball tournament probably not because it is um well number one is a huge money maker but number two as i stated earlier championships would remain under the ncaa so the ncaa unlike the football championship the ncaa does control the basketball tournament So they would probably keep things as is, maybe be some stipends for the athletes as you win your way through the tournament. And also you would uh, uh, allow the Cinderella stories to continue the St. Peter's and schools like that, to continue to play in the tournament because, let's face it, part of the reason why we love the tournament, we watch the tournament, is for the first and second round Cinderella's to play. And then people go, then I want to just see the Blue Buds. I'm one of those crazy people. I want to see the San Diego States go all the way through the Final Four and those type, you know, Peter, St. Peter's go to the Final Four. I want, I don't want to call it chaos. I just want those schools to, you know, if they're good, and once out of every four years they've been able to keep their team together and they bubble up and they make a run, I still want them to have access to the basketball tournament and men's, uh, men's and women's hockey tournaments too. Other questions that w- was out there, how much would this cost per, per school? Probably $6 million a year would go into trust funds. To be, you know, given to the athletes, again, for their uh, academic needs. Would there still be scholarships? Nobody knows. There was no uh, discussions or questions about, I mean, or answers about that. Can walk-ons get payments? Again, not answered. question that's going to have to be discussed and talked about. Because if you, you know if you paying a walk-on, then there's probably a walk-on. Say you're paying a walk-on football player, there's probably going to be a walk-on uh, women's softball player that you're going to have to uh, pay. So will schools cut sports, teams? And I stated I would have more on this they probably would but there are two things that could probably save those save those sports and those teams one it, you, the, the athletes would have to pay their own way through college to play and you all go what well at the division 3 level and division 2 level that's what that is the non revenue sports have to pay to play they have to pay the school their tuition and everything else to play and probably have to pay for their workout gear and all those other things and maybe fundraise to travel and this that and the other so the other way that this possibly could, the other thing that could possibly save them is the olympic committee which gets its participants from 90% of its participants in the Olympics from college non-revenue teams. So they could step in and start funding those sports on different college campuses. You know, if you look at all the great swimmers and you even have golf now in the Olympics and softball and basketball and other sports that might be affected by this That, um, Because, yeah, even at some schools, like the group of five, they don't totally uh, have a lot of scholarships for their basketball. So maybe the U.S. um, Olympic Committee, through its fundraising, can save those sports and save those athletes. Just thinking outside the box there, I have heard other people discuss that too. Here are some other questions. Will the athletes, because remember the athletes are gaining some power and say so in this model, will they ask for staff cuts? Will they be asking for staff salary reduction? Now that is a restrained trade question, but maybe it's time to cap what coaches are made. Jim Harbaugh said today that he would, he would take a pay cut if he knew the money was going directly to his players. I don't know how many other coaches feel that way, but number one, I applaud him, and I applaud other coaches for that. But here's the other part of that. The salaries have gotten so out of hand for coaches. You know, when I first stepped on campus in the 80s, you know, if a head coach made a half a million dollars, it would seem un, un, uh, unfathomable. It was like, oh, man, that is, you know, because there are the highest paid state employees in, in each state, are your football and basketball coaches, because they get paid more than the governor of the state. So this might be a way for state schools especially to be able to cap have a salary cap for coaches and that being uh, placed by the athletes so more of that money would work it way, work its way to the athlete also cut faci- you know this arms racing facilities where well, you build a new facility and a part of it is just stupid. You know, a giant slide or a water park or um, a, a mini golf course is built in there and whatnot, barber shop, and all these crazy things. Instead of building that into these facilities, get back to putting in what you actually need and not all the frills. And then taking that that money that you didn't spend, and again, down to the athletes. And that's also cutting administrators and administrative costs. It seems the athletes have actually come out and said that this needs to happen. They would also cut on um, secondary, secondary um, staffing. Now, believe it or not, that's already happening equipment managers, trainers, whatnot, have already been paid less and been basically just getting a cost of living bump or whatnot. So something near and dear to my heart because it was part of the reason why I was kind of pushed out. I wasn't fired, but they didn't make it easy for, (laughs) for me to stay. I was a union employee, but When they want your salary, they'll find a way to get your salary because I was the highest paid in my group at the time outside of the football guys, and they deemed the services I were providing, even though some of those were about the health and safety of the athletes because of my knowledge and my years of experience, wasn't enough in the sense of what I was being paid. So those are things that the athletes are going to have to push back to get high uh, higher standard of people that they actually come into daily contact with their trainers their athletic equipment person their communications person their academic people these are people they actually spend more time with than their coaches but the schools have decided we can cut that's those are areas we can cut to pay coaches and to throw silliness into facilities. To wrap this up, I will just say this was mind-blowing that it came from the NCAA, which is always reactive, slow-moving, like a glacier, and, and like I said, reactive. They react to things as they happen. They have a, a rules and regulation book that's four uh, inches thick, and they re- regulate anything and everything to down to the size of the company logo on an apparel item, uh, Nike swoosh, or the Under Armour UA, or the Adidas three stripe. Yes, there is even a rule or a law in the NCAA book telling us as equipment managers how it can be. So, for the NCAA to hire a president who's not hiding, who can actually put two words together, who can make sense and say, hey, we need to move forward if we're going to. And he's a former politician, so I'm quite sure he's met with people in Congress, and they said, yeah, we'll help you, but you, this is what you got to do so we can help you. So it's a broad step for them. I applaud uh, President Baker. I hope they can work this out because I don't want to see the nuclear thing of the House versus NCAA getting to the courts and them losing again. Because if they do, they're going to lose their ass. Well, I'll be back in a minute to read a letter from the mailbag and put a bow on the show here on the JB's Low Tech Podcast.
0: When you need someone to listen, a lawyer you know and trust. In a world filled with distractions, one law firm stands tall, fighting for justice. Bradshaw and Bryant. I'm Mike Bryant from Bradshaw and Bryant. We take our mission very seriously. Our firm is dedicated to representing those who have suffered due to the fault of others, especially when they're distracted by their phones. Four seconds. That's all it takes to travel the length of a football field. But those same four seconds can change lives forever. Don't be the person who causes irreversible damage to others or yourself. Put your phone down when you're behind the wheel and be aware of your surroundings. Bradshaw and Bryant have championed the rights of the injured for over three decades. We excel at what we do. Bradshaw and Bryant is ready to fight for you. Find Bradshaw and Bryant, personal injury attorneys at minnesotapersonalinjury.com. Seeking justice for the injured. Bradshaw and Brian.
1: I'm back here to read a letter from the mailbag uh, from a Danny B in St. Louis. Another brilliantly crafted podcast. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. The numbers are staggering. This was um, coming off my earlier discussion of finally, the NCAA is talking about revenue sharing. The numbers are staggering. And as usual, follow the money. It it takes a few cycles, but the athletes will make changes. Yeah, they're making changes, and they're dragging the NC to a kicking and screaming to the bargaining table. It's going to be an interesting, because this even though you got basketball and hockey in just about all the sports going on, your fall sports are wrapping up, your winter sports are in full go, and your spring sports are starting to dream about their season because, you know, they start playing in February. So with all that going on, this is the time of year when football it's finished up that the administrators start to actually earn their money and start really putting things together like this framework and this proposal, and hopefully they can get it done and we can get some peace in the world of college sports. I hope you're enjoying your holiday season, whichever background or ethnicity that you may be. I celebrate Christmas, so I'll just say I hope people are enjoying the the Christmas season. I'll be back next week. Again, this is the third third year anniversary of the show. Late in, late in this month, there will probably be some best ofs as I'm recouping from an ankle uh, fusion surgery. But who knows? Something may come up. It always seems to come up in the world of college sports. Or And also, we're going to be dealing with the fallout of the first uh, the. Uh, the first two games of the college football playoffs and the getting close to the other bowl games. So might have something happen there that I maybe want to talk about. With saying all that, thank you for listening. Uh, tell a friend and enjoy the holiday season. And remember to keep listening to the JB's Low Tech Podcast. JB is my name and f***ing up motherfuckers is my game.
0: Negro, black, African American, black, black, black. Jango! J B. Damn, dolomite. Great card in heaven, you know. J B, our great Negro sex machine.